Welcome to Living Off Course. Join us if you're fascinated by people who break free of societal norms to live life on their own terms. I'm Zita Moran, and with my co-host, Janie Lim, we're exploring what it takes to live a life that's authentically yours. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Living Off Course. Today, we're talking to the lovely Addie Cohen. We talk about why and how Addie left her cushy architecture job in Israel to create the life and job of her dreams as a nomadic architect. Addie travels the world fulfilling her mission to really understand what makes spaces inspirational, the kind of places we really want to spend time in, and what gives a place the feeling of home. As usual, we veer off course and get into topics like psychedelics, creativity and innovation, and many more fascinating, expansive ideas. Join us for this great episode. Thank you so much for joining us. It's wonderful. We're just so fascinated by you creating your own niche career as Nomad Architect. And I really want to get into like, yeah, the origins of you going from your corporate career as in an architecture firm to doing that. Okay, cool. So how far back should I go? Let's start when I was in university. I've decided I wanted to be an architect. It was a very spontaneous decision, I must say. It's not something that I've dreamt of like for years. I knew that I wanted to create the right spaces for people and I didn't know exactly how to do it. And at the time, I had a lot of like very spiritual friends in Israel that used to build all these like houses from natural materials, but it always looked bad, right? You have all this like alternative structures that are not being like a real alternative for people who want to live in sustainable lifestyle. So at one point, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to go all in into the system. I'm going to like make it right. I'm going to get the license and then I'll have the freedom to create whatever I want. Because if I'll just sit on a hill and complain, nothing is going to change. Like if I want to offer something new, I have to have the freedom to create it myself. So I went into like architecture university. It was a huge surprise for me because I loved it. Being like against the system, I traveled the world for a few years before that. And I loved every minute of it. I loved the people, I loved the topics, and I really connected with what I'm doing. And it was easy for me. Design is easy for me. The actual work is to communicate whatever I'm seeing inside of my head outside for other people to see it. I'm a very visual person. It's easy for me to create. I just need to like make it so other people can see it too. I can't wait for the like, you know, the technology to save all the trouble of drafting and so I can just think of things and people can see it. That will be so efficient. And then on my third year, I was presenting one of my projects in an exhibition in Israel, a design exhibition. And I had this Cinderella moment when somebody looked at my work and it's like, oh, who designed this? Who designed this? And I was like, me. And he just gave me his business card and offered me my first job. That was really great. And I was so excited about it. It's five years, Architecture University. And it was on my third year. So I was really excited to like get things built and see like how, how it's being done. And it was a horrible experience. <laughs> Not horrible. It was so far away from the image that you have when you're studying, like the gap between the creativity and, you know, spending all nights and building models and experimenting with materials and really reinventing a lot of things to the normal standard building design in Israel, where there's a lot of duplicated buildings, kind of environments that nobody really wants to live in. It's just for profit. Yeah, they had some cool projects, but what I saw is like very bureaucratic and not very creative. And the people around me uh, were completely burned out. All the people around me in my office were just, you know, I'm excited. It's my first job. I'm, I'm coming like with a lot of energy. And people around me are tired. They don't have the passion for creativity anymore. It's just like, I just can't wait to get through the day. And yay, it's the weekend. Oh no, it's Monday. And I looked at them and I was like, oh my God, I'm not sleeping at night for so many years to become one of these people. That's insane. I don't want to end up like them. But then I had no alternative. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I just need to like let it grow on me or maybe I need to get used to it. You know, being indoor in front of the computer all day was also a bit of a 
like it's very different in university uh, you all the time building models from different materials I love to do drawings by just using pens not computer even that's what I used to do in university because I found it to be more expressive and then just being in front of the computer all the time really got me depressed but I kept doing it because it was an amazing opportunity and all my <laughs> friends from university was kind of like maybe jealous that I was the first one to get into a real firm and work it took me two years to understand that I'm very miserable and I switched to a smaller firm where I have more creative freedom. I had my own window I could open. It was in the countryside. It was better. And then I felt more comfortable with doing architecture the traditional way. But yet I was unhappy. Just knowing there's another week coming, I wasn't excited. I knew exactly how it's going to look like, which is not... I don't know, for creative people, I think for all people, but especially for creative people, if... Just to live the same day over and over again is exhausting. It's like it, it makes no sense. At one point, I switched from working five days a week to four days a week. And then in that extra day, I did jewelry design. I recognized I need to touch materials. I was like, okay, I really miss touching things. I'm gonna, I need to do this. And the architect, yeah. And the architect that I worked for at the time completely understood me. It was just like, you know what? That's okay. I know you. No worries. Go for it. Yeah. So I did this for a while. And then there was like, I call it, this is when the moment where the stars aligned, you know, it was like a lot of things happened at the same time. It just kind of like pushed me away from Israel. Me and my partner, we broke up. One of my dearest friends have died of cancer. And it was just nothing made sense anymore. And at this moment, I just knew I moved to Tel Aviv and I had this really shitty apartment with like a construction site that worked 24 hours a day and tried to be like drive me crazy. I just, you know, nothing. I was, okay, what am I doing here? And I had this moment where I was like, I recognize that I'm allowed to go crazy. It's just like, you know what? I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's Definitely not this. And I moved like a few apartments and every time I had to like pack and unpack, I hated my belongings more. I hate my, all my items. I was just like, I don't need any of it. I just need like, I don't know, just a few things. At some point, I just decided I'm going to do what, what I always wanted to do and I'm going to travel. I'm going to go on a journey on a one-way one -way ticket journey and just see what can happen if I'll go on a journey. I always had this feeling that I'm living on 10%. I have 100, but I'm living on 10 and it's like, yeah, it's okay, it's working, but how will it feel like if only I'll get closer to 100? If I'll just try, what could happen? So I decided to go for it and obviously everyone thought I'm going crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh, such a familiar feeling. Yeah. But with no job, like you had no intention to work. You just wanted to travel at that point. Yeah, there was nothing certain at the point. I had a few projects running in Israel, but I was lucky to have partners on those projects because some of them I started as a student, so I didn't have my license yet. Da -da -da. So that was actually the factor that kind of like set me free. So I could go and deal with the design remotely and still have people in Israel to go to meetings, to go to the city hall, to meet with the clients. So that was a really good collaboration. And later I duplicated this model to different countries to have local partners and collaborate. Collaboration is huge. I love to collaborate with people. So then I had these few projects in Israel. I was going, my aim was to go to Japan. <laughs> Because I always wanted to go there. And I just told my family and friends, listen, I decided I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to sell all my things and bye. <laughs> my father took it really hard. He couldn't really sleep at night. He thought I'm throwing my life away. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. You have a good job. I just started to work on a new project to design the synagogue of his community. And he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, dad. I'm sorry, I really have to, I have to go. I have to do it, you know? Worst case, I can always come back. It's not a big deal. I just knew that I had to go. I just have to change something. Yeah, it, it's interesting that you say that sometimes it's often when you are so gifted, as you obviously are, Adi, that it's actually the outside, your friends saying, you should be grateful to have this job in, in your third year of architecture in school. And um, you think, oh gosh, you know, 
it's that kind of guilt. It's the expectations of everybody outside you that are saying, but you're so lucky, be grateful. And, you know, and your father saying, but look at your career. It's so wonderful. Look at everything you're throwing away that can hold us back more than perhaps if you weren't as stellar at everything you were doing. If people were like, well, maybe you should just go away because nothing's working here. That it almost takes more strength to say, yeah, all of this looks great, but I don't feel great. That yeah, courage. It, it, it looks great on paper. I was um, a partner at the, at this firm because I already had projects that I brought uh, to the office and it just didn't seem right. There is always this mindset of, you know, we need to work really hard and then save money and then go on vacations, spend that money and then keep going back to the life of like, when you're older, when you're tired, then you get to do what, what you really want. And I, I could never see myself, maybe I'm, I'm not patient enough. <laughs> to live this kind of life i was just like maybe i'll just live a life that i'm actually happy to live there is this um equation of if you spend less then you don't have to work this much then you can live more right you, ha you get to have more free time if the cost of living is not so expensive so i just figured that if i'll go to countries in the beginning that are not very expensive i'll have more time to figure out what i'm going to do with my life which was like japan was not cheap but that was like another dream of mine. So I went on this journey and I just, you know, tried to get back to kind of like forget the expectations, like letting people down, letting my father down, just guilt of, um, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I spent all these years working, studying, a lot of money, obviously. And now I'm really questioning this path because I'm not happy. So maybe I'll do something different. And I wasn't even sure I'm going to be an architect anymore. Uh, I was just like, you know, I love architecture, but obviously nobody's doing what it should, how it should really look like. And then I got to Japan and I started traveling around. I did some volunteer work. I met a lot of Japanese people. It was fun. And I got really obsessed with the traditional Japanese houses. They're beautiful. Uh, yeah, they're amazing and it didn't make any sense at the time because I wasn't going to be an architect anymore and even if I were, you can't build Japanese houses in Israel. We don't have enough wood. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. I visit like 50 of them and I have all, <laughs> I know, I was really obsessed. I have all the plans and all the pictures. I was just like, I was really obsessed with Japanese houses for some reason. And I kind of like, I went with the flow and I kind of like let myself to do this thing. And then just like two months later, I met this couple from New Zealand that just bought a hotel in Japan. And we met and they were like, are you an architect? Oh my God, she's an architect. Where did you came from? Listen, we just got this place and we really need your opinion. Would you mind do a consult session for us? I was just like, sure. You know, I was a bit bored <laughs> because it's been a while since I worked. And I was just like, okay, you know what? Sure, let's go. So we went to their place and they showed me around what, went, what they want to do. I ended up doing a renovation plan for them and like the interior design approach. We did the whole concept change and it was amazing. And I couldn't understand the reason why would they hire me because Japan has amazing architects. But in Japanese culture, you don't disagree, especially with your clients. So they brought this Japanese architect to give them his opinion about what they want to do. But they did the mistake of telling him, listen, we want to do this and this and this and this. And then all he could do is just agree with them. He just said, yeah, it's a very good idea. But I'm Israeli. It's not a problem for me to express my opinion. It's sometimes a problem for me to shut up. I'm very honest. It's just the way I was raised. It's like, if you think somebody's going to do a mistake, our values, the moral thing to do would be to tell him or her, listen, I think you need to do it like this. And then I gave them my opinion and they ended up hiring me, which was really cool. So that was like one, the first thing that happened. And I was like, okay, cool, that happened. I'll keep on traveling. I, I still don't know if I want to be an architect, but let's see how it goes. And then when more opportunities like this happen, the more people I've met, the more I realize that people need me to maybe be that mediator between the world travelers, the world citizen, to like different countries, different cultures. I think somehow I'm good at bridging that gap between the international mindset and just the local quality of the place. What strikes me is how open you were to 
anything happening. Like, you know, you were open to almost seeing opportunities and, and it almost reminds me of the, the alchemist. I don't know if you've read The Alchemist. Of course. Yeah. I love The Alchemist. <laughs> um, but that kind of seeing signs and just following your the intuition. I can't remember what he calls it. And your legend, your personal legend. And s- noticing the opportunities when they're there and being open to them. And recognizing what your strengths are as they come. It sounds like... What I had my vision of you becoming a nomad architect is you just going, okay, I want to travel and I like architecture. Nomad architect. <laughs> but actually the reality is such a bold, beautiful, like, organic story that you're like, okay, I'm just going to see because I want to live from love and not from just day-to-day doing what maybe is expected of me. Like this podcast, living a life off course, just going, okay, I'm going off the beaten track and I'm just going to trust <laughs> that things are going to be okay. As And that takes a lot of courage. Thank you. So. Thank you for recognizing it. Yeah, you know, there's a term in psychology that I learned about called openness to experience. Do you know about it? Mm. Have you heard about no. it? It's um Oh Janie, I think. Has. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's a part of what the big five assessment or yeah. is um yeah, openness is one of the qualities that they measure for, but please share what it means to you. Yeah, so there are different levels of like in your personality of how open you are to new experiences. It means maybe how often will you try a new food, like new food or listen to new music or even if you walk a different way when you're going to the same place, will you try to go a different way? It basically says like your willingness to experience new things. And I think there was like a real gap in between in my old life, between the amount of new experiences I had to my desire to live a life that has more adventures and more new things. Like I love whenever I'm traveling, my method is like I always go one way and I'll try to stay as much as I want to in this place. Like I, I want to come open and experience the place as much as I can. And then if I like it, I'll stay because I'm not trying to have this big list with like different countries. It's not important to me. People asking me, uh, to how many countries have you been? It's like, I don't care. I don't count. It doesn't matter. It's not about it. It's not, this is not the, not the essence of being, me being nomadic. The real value in traveling for me it's feeling at home in different places it's getting to know the place getting to know the neighbors walking around getting lost in the streets really getting to know the place what do you think of this idea that i love uh, that jason selva talks about that ontological design is the idea that the spaces you design yourself into design you back yeah, I agree 100%. So you've I've been inspired by many different cultures and different places that you've been. And what stands out to you as really memorable experiences along that journey? Oh, so many, <laughs> so many. A lot of the things I do, I think out of intuition. And then later when I look back and analyze, I see why. So for example, I always knew that I have this wish to be in different places. And I couldn't explain it. Like why? Can you read about it in a book or why do you need to like physically go there? But I think there's like an extra value when you study a place to your senses, when you really see the scale, we call it in architecture, the sense of place. When you go to a place and you know it, you know the streets and you know how it smells like and the textures and the colors because each place is so unique. And then when, as a creative person, when I travel, it's almost like I'm creating an archive of all the places I've been to in my head where I can create from, I can use the, the, all the, the climate solutions, all the like, I love going to like ancient cultures and see because they dealt a lot with this topic of how the building affects a person. Like what is the effect design has on us? Because as humans, we always experience the world as a container. If I'm in my house and I have four walls around me, or if I'm in the street and the buildings define the room, the outdoor room, or even if I'm in nature and I'm surrounded by mountains and clouds, then I have a different scale. So it's always like our body in relation to a container. And then what kind of places really inspire us? What kind of places we want to be in? Sometimes you walk into a place and it's just, you know, something is right. You're just like, oh, I wish I could live here. Why? What makes a place 
a place you want to be in. This is my mission. This is what I'm exploring. This is what I'm trying to define and understand and just experience as much as I can. So places, to your question, places that do it well, it's like Japan. A lot of the old architecture in Japan, because I think they have an amazing way to connect with nature. When you think about the traditional Japanese houses, they always, like the garden and the house, they're one. You design the garden to be viewed from the house and the house to be viewed from the garden and everything is just works in correlation and it's amazing and everything is handmade and you just, you really feel the craft. It's incredible. And well, Morocco, I love the architecture in Morocco. I love the secret. Are you familiar with uh, Riyadh's? Yeah, I've, I've stayed in a Riyadh. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's this courthouses. It's always almost like a secret. It's a secret, yeah. a house that is built around the garden in a way that ventilates it in the best way because of it's pretty hot there. But the beauty of Riyadh is you can just walk in the street and you don't know what's behind the door. It's such an amazing experience that surprise. So I had only one day in Marrakesh because I, I was in the desert and it took me longer to get. I just kept stopping in like different villages on the way. I couldn't get to Marrakesh in time. And then when I got to Marrakesh, I was um, like, okay, I have only one day. What's the one thing that I really want to learn here? I want to see as many Riyads as I can. So I looked in the map where all the Riyads are. Because I was staying in one and it's like, okay, where are all the rest? Because you can't, you can't know. It could be just a random door. Then you open it, suddenly you're in a palace. It's amazing. So I just knocked on so many doors. I was like, check, check, check. Hi, I'm an architect. Do you mind if I have a look? I just like, that, I love that. <laughs> that's, like, that's the Israeli spirit, you know? You have nothing to lose. So then. <laughs> you really don't. Yeah, like I'd be like, I would genuinely be terrified of doing that. I love that you, it's just so inspirational. Really? To you. Like, I want to see behind this door. Why don't I just knock? You know, that's wonderful. And Did you find that most, a lot of people let you in? All of wow. them. They were just like, yeah, sure. Come on, let's do a tour. And then they told me about the building and when was it built and how it was like, oh, and this is the new part and this is how we did this. Amazing, beautiful, amazing places. And I learned so much in this day in Marrakesh. Just like, it was, it was sometimes hard to leave because they're like, want to have some tea? And then we start talking. It's just like, listen, I should really get going. <laughs> so friendly the people in morocco amazing that's amazing but also it's a reflection of you that vibes you put out is what you get back yeah yeah true. that's why i also have a podcast and its name is go out and talk to strangers this I is know. part I was of my comment on that because <laughs> i was like that's your podcast name and it's yeah. very apt i can see now it's right. you know how it started this name after i started being nomadic and being an architect and doing like i do a lot of uh, concept development which is basically the best part of architecture taking ideas and you transform an idea into a space that's like the essence of the creative work and i had a lot of architects emailing me like please tell me what you do I, like teach me i want to do it too and i have no idea what to teach you know i'm just like going my advice to you Go to places you don't normally go to and start talking to strangers. So when I started the podcast, it was clear that it's going to be the name. Go out and talk to strangers. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, actually, I really wanted to ask you about the idea of you have this image in your mind and then the journey from that to the realization in the space that you create. Sometimes a frustration when you can't get it right. Always. It's a really long process. When you see it, and then I start to first with the pen and paper, just to draft some ideas, uh, sections, trying to understand the scale. Sometimes I do a 3D model and it doesn't look right. So I have to go back and see why and work again and again and again until it feels right, until it feels like something I've seen. And I know that sometimes during creative work, I learned that my process, I have to do a lot of zoom in and zoom out. Because if I'm doing it for too long, I'm going to hate it. I just have to work on it and then take a break, go away, do something else for a few hours and then come back and do it again. If I'll go for too many hours straight, it's not going to be good. Oh, okay. So it truly is a labor of love for you. It is. It feels like the purpose of architecture for me is serving people. 
It's not about an ego. It shouldn't look like gimmicky or anything. The space should be experienced from inside and it should have like the best effect it can on people. So in that sense, I'm just feeling like I want to be able to design as many places as I can to benefit as many people as possible. It's not about my ego trip and it shouldn't be. A lot of architects are a bit confused. They think they're, you're not creating a sculpture. It's a building. People need to be able to use it. It affects us. So you should take that into account, not only just the way it looks from outside. In the ancient world, nobody used to use, like nobody planned from above like we do today. You know, we don't starting to plan in bird's eye view. No, in the old world, you just used to like... You know, just try things and see how it feels. And then oh, maybe you move it here. And that's why we have all these amazing buildings from that time. When you were saying that people walk into a place and they feel, this is a place I want to be. And there's that kind of feeling. Do you find that differs from person to person? Or have you found in your work that there are common elements which people generally think, wow, this is, makes a good environment? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. So I think if you ask different architects, you'll get different answers. I think it's a combination because we're all coming from a different background, culturally and like the places we grew up in. What is home? What feels like home? It's usually has to do with your childhood memories or places that you experienced as a child. So that's like a really big question. I think that like the future of architecture is almost like in the medical world where it's DNA based. I think each and every person has its own memory palette, right? The things that we experience that makes us who we are. And then the way we experience space also has to do with the way we experience the world. And yet, some things are global. Some structures, most people will find beautiful. And from my experience, that it's usually structures that are very unique to the place. Let's say if you go to Bali and you see like the bamboo structures... You can recognize it's like part of the DNA of this place itself. So it feels natural. So it's like almost a combination. When I do process with my clients, I always try to do like as customized as possible to the person and as customized as possible to the place, just to understand the DNA of that site, of that area in the world, of the climate. People say, oh, we want to do a sustainable design. From what I see, it calls make it build in a way that makes sense. Before we had electricity, before we had AC and everything, people only used to build from what they had around them, the materials they had around them. You had to use the sun and the wind because this is what you had, free and available. So it only makes sense to do it. You don't have to do an ecological design. It's just building with pure logic. Wow. And I guess before you were just, you had clients just in Israel. And now do you find you've got clients all around the world? Yeah, yeah. My first clients were from Israel. And then I started to present myself. So let's say I went to Thailand. I was in an island and I just go on the, like, the Facebook group of the island and say, Hi, guys. I am a D. I'm an architect. I'm going to be here for a while. Let me know if you need anything. And people contacted me. And then I did it again and again, and also through like the Nomad Network. And then people, like slowly people got to know me. And also my podcast helped because then people kind of like reached out to me through my website. And then it started to be like last year, somebody invited me, just an amazing group of founders, invited me to come to Costa Rica to brainstorm a site with them. That was amazing. They are very inspiring. They invited 20 people from all over the world to study the site with them and to just to brainstorm the project. It was amazing. They just reached out on LinkedIn and I was amazed that this is like, okay, this is, first of all, the perfect way of starting a project. They had scientists, permaculture people, me, a yoga teacher. They brought a chef for us who cooked on fire, like amazing, amazing things. And we all just like went into the rainforest and studied about like the really the site to understand what we're going to do. And they love the place so much. They don't want to do anything that will change it. So they're very careful with the way they want to do this, their project. And this is amazing. If I could have started every project like this, that's amazing. So what kind of project is it? It's an eco village. It's a retreat center. Okay. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So they called outreach to you? Like, they, like, do they have a recommendation from somebody or did they just find you? This other guy 
that they connected with they just do you know Adi you should really get like just get in touch with her and then we skyped for 10 minutes and the next thing I know they're like we would like to invite you to Costa Rica and I was like okay hell yes <laughs> You know, that's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, incredible. And so, how long have you been uh, nomading? So it's been three years since I had my own home, and I left Israel two and a half years ago. And can you see yourself going back? Oh no, no. <laughs> no, my list is only getting longer. I have this plan B for when I'll get tired of traveling because it's also very, I had to learn how to not emotionally exhaust myself because being a stranger in a new place every month, that's pretty hard. Yeah, you have to make friends and understand where to live, where to eat, how it works. It's a lot of energy. So then I, I started going back to places that I already know, just trying to find that balance of like self-care, not being all the time outside of my comfort zone, because this is also, it's impossible. Yeah. You have yeah. to like recharge and go out to the world. So my plan B would be when I get tired, uh, just choose my favorite places, two or three places or four or five, I don't know, let's see. And just move with the seasons. Just have like a few bases with community, with people that you already know. It's just like, it's fun to have friends. Yeah. Absolutely. Not only through screens. Actually, have you, yeah. have you been to Chiang Mai? Not yet. Oh my God. Well, <laughs> now. Janie has an apartment in Chiang Mai. It's her absolute favorite place. Where, so she has a base in Chiang Mai and then travels. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, so I've done something similar to you. But that's where Zida and I met. Where do you think would be your face? Top three to five. <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it will be... I know I have to spend more time in Japan. There's something about Japan. There's something about the people and the way they're... They're so devoted to whatever they're doing. It's so inspiring. So Japan will definitely be one of them. I also am a big fan of Zen Buddhism and their aesthetics. And I, I, do you know the term wabi-sabi? I've heard of it, have but I don't know it? what it means. It's part of the aesthetic approach of Zen Buddhism, where it basically means that it's the beauty of imperfection. Okay, that's what I've heard of it. Is that the kind of the broken dishes or ceramics and then they put the gold in? Yeah, yeah. That's one aspect of it. But it's also when you install a new floor, you would say, I can't wait to see what will be the first scratch on the floor. Not in a bad way. It's just that you allow time to leave it, its traces on items. That's why I think this is why we like antiques, because we can tell there's a story. We can see the time on the material itself. And it's absolutely beautiful for me. So going in deeper to this. So let's say Japan, for sure. Portugal. Portugal is amazing. I love the people there. I would love to spend more time in the Nordic countries, Denmark, Sweden, Scandinavia, just to explore that mindset. Italy is always fun. Yeah, and I'm, as you can see, yeah. <laughs> very open. <laughs> yeah, I love it. A whole smorgasbord of different beautiful countries. Yeah, it's like it's just the list goes on and on. Oh, I would love to spend more time in Mexico, Guatemala. Hawaii wasn't too bad. You Hawaii, know? <laughs> oh my God, love it. Um, so is a language yeah. a barrier for you in connecting to locals? Most of the time, no. But yeah, I would love to know more languages. I can speak a little bit of many languages, but I never got very deep into any of them. My Portuguese is pretty okay. But yeah, <laughs> I would great. love That's to know. That's a hard yes. language, Portuguese. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you can also go to Brazil and you, you'll be fine there as well. Yeah, actually my Portuguese got better in Brazil because the Brazilian Portuguese is so much easier to understand than the Portuguese one. Actually, Janie was just about to be in Brazil before coronavirus hit to do ayahuasca. Have you done it? Have you done ayahuasca? No, it's not for me. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to. I really wanted to. And then this shaman guy told me, um, no, it's not for you. <laughs> he just really warned me about it. I guess for some people, it's not their path, which is okay. Totally. I think it's one of those things, isn't it? You kind of feel called cool to do it or you don't. And um, I've not yet felt the call cool to do ayahuasca, but it's intriguing. How about other psychedelics? Ayahuasca is part of like a very ancient tradition. It's part of a spiritual path. And I know it's very trendy at the moment. A lot of people are curious about it, but you have to do the work before. You know, if you practice for many years, I feel like 
we can't go into like level 10 of a different culture just because it looks cool. I guess we have to prepare ourselves to do it. But again, I'm, I'm like a psychedelic uh, baby. I'm not really experienced with anything. My visual is very strong the way it is. So I don't want to mess with it, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I totally see that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, we're not going to try and um, ask all the questions we want to ask. But um, one of the things I remember we were asking you about a quote that particularly resonated with you. Yeah, sure. Okay, so there's a book uh, by an Israeli author called Badolina. And it's a story about a king and a queen that live in a faraway kingdom. It's very beautiful. And it's also translated to English. So uh, basically, it's like this our choice to live life from a king point of view or from a victim point of view. And I read this book when I was pretty young. And at one point, the king is like stuck with his car somewhere in the desert. And his mindset is like, well, he has to fix the car by himself with no water. Da, da, da. He goes and say, if I'll translate it, it will be something like, of course I can. I just have to find out how. And this sentence it keeps resonating with me for so many years at first I had this on a small note in my room in the dorm like when in university when I was struggling with physics it's like okay of course I can I just need to figure out how and then every time I have to kind of like face something I was like okay I'm sure I can I just need to figure out how and that's just like I love this approach that's beautiful because that's real self-reliance as well. And it's kind of just saying, I believe in myself. And, and then it kind of is maybe a, a tagline for your life. You're like, of course I can be a nomad architect. I just need to figure out how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, not that it really started out that way. No, but, it didn't. Um, it would <laughs> <laughs> um, be a good title for your book, perhaps. Oh. Or the biography of a nomad architect. <laughs> of course I can. Oh my God. <laughs> this is so far away from me. <laughs> But maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. Let's see. I need to focus my energy on things that I want to do, which is now creating more buildings. Okay. So that is something we want to ask you about. Well, first, um, is there something that you really want to be remembered for? I think so. I think if I'll be able to create those places that we talked about earlier, if I can create, I don't know if method, but just creating those spaces that are really when you have that sweet spot between the traditional like I think I'm, I'm very excited about making modern use of ancient knowledge so if you can figure out a way of doing that I would be very happy and maybe liberating architects in a way you know architecture has been the same since so many years it looks the same. People are indoor and they're doing their things. And I think with the future of work and automation, like the world is changing so fast. And I would love if, let's say, also the field of architecture will have the opportunity to reinvent themselves in a way that only use the full potential of the people. We don't have to spend hours drafting. It's not a good use of our time. We don't have to spend hours fighting bureaucracy. It's useless. So just like, finding that new way of doing things that would be really awesome fantastic answer yeah thank you so much yeah. <laughs> um Thanks. there's literally like dozens of things i want to know about you i just like i'm so fascinated like do you meditate yeah i do i love meditation i had two trips to india when i was very uh, one of them when i was 18 that was like a very spontaneous trip and then the second one was when i was 20 and I feel that India, it's giving you this very rare opportunity because the cost of living is so low, right? So you're almost like a millionaire. So let's say you're a millionaire and you have all the time in the world. What do you do? Do you go hiking? Do you do a lot of drugs and dance around? Do you go to ashram? Do you go to volunteer? What do you do with your time? So I think India always gives people this opportunity to like explore themselves. And one of the things I did in India, during I spent a year there when I was 20. And I went through all those different states. I started with like hanging out with tourists and going to like trans parties. And then I started to like meditate a lot. And I was like really fascinated by actually Buddhism. So I went to like the mountainside and I like went to like monasteries by myself and like sat with monks, which was very fun. And then I went to tribal areas like in the East 
area of India and I found myself like hunting for like special crafts. So all those different opportunities, I think it's like something that every person has to do. You know, if you really want to like take away the expectations of society and whatever is like the normal path you're supposed to be following, taking that break, almost like the virus has given us now. And like, okay, everything is shut down, stay home and think how you want to spend your life. <laughs> But in a more inspiring environment where you have a lot of different options, I think that could be amazing. That is uh, such a beautiful insight into India. I've never heard someone put it quite like that, mm. the Indian experience. So I Thank love you. the use you made of your time there, the whole running the whole gamut of the experience you can have in India. It is India. I've always, I've loved, I mean, it's such a varied um, subcontinent. But yeah. what I love about India, is if it, it's, it's like life encapsulated in that, in that place. It's like in, in Technicolor. Everything seems to be like on overdrive. It's just... Uh, um, yeah, it's intense. It's really intense. But then you've got the kind of, you know, the mountainside, the tranquility of going up to Dharamsala or whatever and the, and the monasteries there. It's um, anyway, I could go on about India, but yeah, I really yeah. love that yeah, reflection. Amazing. On Thank it. you. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy you liked it. <laughs> okay. Janie looks like she's got, like, she's going to burst. Well, no, just, <laughs> uh, definitely. I, I just need to tell you, you must at least start thinking about the book and just seed it for the future because you have incredible stories. So you've just experienced so many things. You're so open-minded. Are you, is it because you're curious? I guess it's because I'm curious. I'm doing research all the time, creative research about creative thinking. I'm also like, I want to start giving workshops about creative thinking. And I'm, I did some lectures recently. I think the most fascinating thing is about cross-culture. When you have mix of different cultures, like we have in Israel, for example, just the fact that this country is made of, it's basically like a mix of all over the world. My family came from Iraq and from Tunisia. This is where they came from in the 50s. Like Jewish communities came to Israel. We have people from all over the world. On Saturdays, we eat Yemen food. Recently, we had a holiday where the eighth day of Passover, you're not eating bread for a week and then you eat a lot of bread. You had a lot of like sweets that is usually Moroccan. So like the Jewish Moroccan brought this tradition to Israel. So always when you have this cross-cultural experiences, I think it really opened up something in you. And I guess that's why people that travel a lot that get this experience of like having a very, like your mindset is different. You're very open to life. You're open to cultures. And the more diverse your reality is, I guess that brings more layers into your personality. And there is a study that I've read recently about the art directors of the leading fashion companies. I love this research because it was trying to see, to see if there is a connection between the amount of creativity and innovation one person had to living abroad, to experiencing different cultures. And there is a very strong connection. So I'm not talking about short-term travels. I'm talking more like living for a few months, really like integrating with the culture. The more cultures the person has experienced, the more creative and innovative it was. It's like things we feel, but when you read something like this, it really validates your, yeah. your, your feeling. And so I think that's why maybe other than a very expensive cost of living in Israel, this is why Israeli people are really famous for being like, startups and innovation maybe it's this cultural identity that it's so rich and so complex at the same time just brings a lot of different ideas and traditions into like one place which is really amazing i love that insight yeah i often think that if you look at even america north america and kind of the newer countries the new world mm -hmm. or whatever it were countries where you've had a lot of mixing of different cultures and stuff there is more of that kind of startup tradition is validated by you saying what a melting pot israel is of different cultures and how that mm -hmm. informs the innovation um, that you see there yeah and and i have to say that at the beginning well now it's like it's this anti-trend right in the beginning in israel nobody was allowed to speak their own language my grandmother she used to speak arabic And I remember 
her and my, my mother, she talked to her in Hebrew and she replies in Arabic and she's like, I can't understand you. Talk to me in Hebrew. This is Israel. We have to all. So at the beginning, they tried to like erase the identity. They tried, you know, to bring so many people together. We all need to speak one language. We all have to have like kind of like the same culture. But then now in the past few years, that's like 10 years or more, different subcultures in Israel kind of like owning back their identity. And suddenly one of them, like the mainstream music bands, they're singing in Yemen. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you have this beautiful expression of the diversity that really makes it what it is. So I think a lot of places has a lot of immigrants. But then if you're not trying to like blend in and just keep being who you are, that's when you really get the value of mixing people together, not when we're all trying to fit in one status quo. Yeah, that's beautiful and very much about like celebrating the individual and their culture. So if there's a word or a few words to describe your design philosophy... I don't know if we can do it in a few words. I'm working on like rebranding because I yeah. think Nomad Architect is, it's like, it's who I am, but it's not what I yeah. offer as my service, yeah. as my design mm-hmm. philosophy. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing this process now of trying to understand exactly what it is that I need to have as my, as you said, my tagline or something. So I think it's really hard to put it well, in a few words. I really loved what you said about bringing ancient wisdom into modern design. I think that's such a beautiful concept. That's mm. definitely one of the things that I'm mostly like that fascinated me and I'm, I'm really passionate about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and then um, also like, it seems like you really like to push boundaries or like, you know, just I, I keep exploring and the curiosity. I think there's something really powerful about that. I think your gift is that, as you were articulating earlier, is also the fact, I mean, how to distill it into one short sentence, but it is that that you are creating this palette from the world. It's not just from a desk. You are always educating yourself. You're this sponge for different cultures and you're bringing that into your design. I recognize that there is this, again, trying to just to communicate that gap between the people and the place. I think that's one of the things. And also, I guess, the design from the human perspective, which is like the most important thing for me. Like, for example, I don't understand how one can separate architecture from interior design. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in everything that a person is experiencing when you enter a project. So you experience the scale, you experience the materials, you experience the light. I can't design a building and let another person choose the materials. It's impossible. It's like a very, I could say, holistic experience. Where just, yeah, I just wrote that down. Yeah? Holistic experience design. As you were talking, that the word struck me. Holistic Mm-hmm. experience design because, because you're not just design yeah yes yes absolutely everything mm-hmm. is like it's a whole right it's all integrated yeah and the impact of design and the way that the space invites you to use it we have like different invitations from different kind of spaces so then when i do my process with clients i always like if it's not a, a residence if it's a let's say a hotel and we'll try to define what kind of experiences we want to offer the guests And then we'll design the right containers, the right spaces to invite people to have those kind of like the atmosphere and the feelings that one place, like what's the impression we get from places. It's usually how places makes us feel. We remember emotions. And then, That's actually one of my favorite quotes by Maya Angelou is um, people don't remember what you say. They don't remember what you do. What they're left with is the way that you made them feel. Exactly. I have it in my vision creating process. I have this quote exactly there because we want to define the feelings and then we want to create the experience around those feelings, which is like, I know it's very ambitious, but what else am I supposed to do with my time? Duplicate buildings? Yeah. It's a very noble pursuit. It really is. (laughs) And I'm sure people are finding out now with coronavirus and everybody's on lockdown, how their environments really make them feel and at the importance of your environment. Yeah, environments are so impactful on our mental health and our well-being. Like, I think people really... Completely. uh, Do you find that you've seen that awareness? (laughs) Environments have risen in clients of yours saying, I don't know how to put that, but like, 
I know that offices are kind of moving away from the cubicles. Cubicles, that's what they're called. A little <laughs> yeah. bit because they realize that it's not a great working environment for people. Yeah, completely. 100%. Yeah, I think it's more advanced in offices because like I think the employers, they want to create the right places for people to be as productive as possible. So they're interested in how to do it. Like all the tech companies, they have all these like cool rooms and like a Zen room and a game room because they understand that one person can't keep focus for eight hours straight. So when you do that process of in and out and focus and unfocus, and then you get your best ideas, not when you're sitting in front of a blank paper, is when you're washing the dishes, it's when you're driving your car, it's when you're doing something else and you allow your subconscious to process all the things that you've like learned before. This is like creativity. When you connect two different, completely different topics and you put them together in a way that makes sense, this is when you have new ideas. So I think in the world of work, of co-working, people are, they understand better this effect. In residentials, depends. It Mm -hmm. really depends. A lot of people just want to, they'll send me their Pinterest board and say like, oh, I want something like this. And then we have to go one by one. Like really, what about this image that you love? Is Mm -hmm. it, oh, I really like the window and I was looking at that floor. So you have to be very specific with inspiration. The three of us can look at the same painting and pay attention to different details. Absolutely. That's yeah. a, a result of our conditioning, of everything you were talking about earlier. So then, like, I think in a way, anti-globalization in the sense of design, we can't all live in the same houses. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. So I think now more and more people are understanding this. I think it's a uh, part of the process of us waking up and becoming more conscious because it's literally like that's what being mindful is on the very um the very micro level and then just expanding that out to everything like everything impacts your experience and to become more aware of it and then to become more conscious and intentional and that's it seems like you're on the forefront of designing those experiences and places yeah it's it's an ongoing process like I don't have an answer. I'm just willing to experiment and I want to experience as much as possible. And I love to co-create with my clients. It's just an adventure, you know, to create what's the best space for you and what's the place space for you and what's the best place for like random people to come and be our guests. It's just yeah. fun. Thank you, Addy. This has been a wonderful journey through your life and your creative mind. <laughs> Thank you for having okay. me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to Living Off Course. For links to any resources, books, etc. that we mentioned in the show, please check out the show notes on our website, livingoffcourse.com. And to stay up to date with our latest episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you so much again, and we look forward to seeing you next week.